Here's the pass to Leitner. Puts it up. Butler. Butler. Into the lane. Into traffic. It goes again. For Butler. West Virginia has won its first Big East championship. Into the hands of Clark. Got a chance to win it here. Up the front. It's the Akita for the win. Welcome back to Press Break, Sports Shift Media's college basketball podcast powered by the Juicebox Pod. Go, go check them out uh, everywhere. Uh, just search for the Juicebox Pod and it should come up. You, you got us, the Juicebox Podcast, and then uh, the Tobacco Pipe. Three great podcasts to listen to. But we're back for a little short uh, live episode. Uh, Brandon had me uh, on his live show last night at, uh, mm. at Big Ugly Brewing. Uh, it was a great time talking about the whole tournament and then we talked a little bit about the first couple Elite Eight games and previewed the second one. So uh, we'll dive into a short uh, recap of last night's games and then get into a little transfer uh, transfer portal talk. But uh, Brandon, how you doing? Can can we have a moment of honesty? Yeah. Okay. So this is my first year being in the media for the NCAA tournament. So the mm-hmm. answer to your question is, JT, I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is so much going on and so much to cover. It's been a blast. I've enjoyed doing it with you and on my own platform as well. Um, it's been a good tournament. But, yeah, absolutely exhausted. <laughs> ready for next weekend, uh, the great Final Four that we're going to have and a championship game. And then, yeah, it's going to be a break. Uh, just watch as casual fans and then maybe get back to it here in the summer. Absolutely. And we're going to have a lot to cover. Uh, the transfer portal, like you alluded to, is alive and well. We'll get into that a little bit more. But, yeah, it's going to be – it's definitely – off season will be a little easier than the regular season for sure. Yeah, definitely. A little more laid back. But uh, we'll, we'll uh, briefly talk about the first one. Um, we talked about it last night. But uh, Gonzaga just they, – they looked like the team that we thought they were. Uh, they ran through USC. I think uh, – I think people tried to talk it up too much. Mm-hmm. They they were they wanted Gonzaga to at least be in a game so bad that they tried to talk themselves into USC, and they they destroyed that zone. Drew Timmy heard all the haters saying that the Mobley brothers were going to be able to handle him inside, and then he scores twelve points in the uh, before the under twelve timeout, uh, mm-hmm. and then Jalen Suggs almost gets a triple double, uh, two assists shy. He really controlled that game at the point. Uh, what else did you see from that one? Honestly, just the response from Gonzaga. Um, now, I will say that they were given a little bit of a game by Creighton. Um, mm-hmm. About the first eight minutes in the first half, I think, was the most uneasy I felt about Gonzaga, which isn't saying much because if I was at 100 before <laughs> on the confidence level, I was about like a 99. Yeah. Um, but th- I just saw a team that responded. Um, they were looking for fuel, and, and we talk about it all the time out there in the West Coast Conference. Who do they really have to get up for, especially mm-hmm. when they're as dominant as they are this year? Um, and I think they responded. I feel bad for the Mobley brothers. Um, I feel like they were thrust into the spotlight by the media, us included, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and how good of a matchup that was going to be. And they were just on the wrong end. And to your point about cutting up the zone, when you have five to seven players that can go into the middle of a 2-3 zone, and just bust shots from anywhere, mm-hmm. and you're going to shoot 43% from three on the kickouts, <laughs> I mean, good luck, yeah, right? Yeah, no, nobody is going to beat Gonzaga as as good as some other teams are in the country. If they play like that, uh, there's no beating them. Right, and I think Creighton had the right game plan. I don't think they had the, the bodies and the personnel to do it, but mm-hmm. you're going to have to play man-on-man and switch everything with Gonzaga and be comfortable guarding one through five with any player you have, which gets difficult. Jalen Suggs is what, six, 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 five, six, six, somewhere around there. Um, He's the smallest guy on the floor for them until Ayayi comes in and then he's six, three. (laughs) Um, So you've got to have, you've got to have that ability. I thought Michigan would have gave them a great run. And I guess that's a good segue into the second game of the night, because I don't see any other team save maybe Baylor um, mm-hmm. that is going to give Gonzaga a fit. It's definitely, I, I'm sorry, I love them. It's not going to be UCLA. Their run is amazing, but it's coming to an end. Uh, yeah, the, there is no chance. Um, but I really thought there was no chance against Michigan. So we'll jump over to that game. Mm-hmm. UCLA wins a tight one, 51 to 49. I don't think anybody could have guessed that Michigan was going to put up under 50 points, but 
uh, the defense uh, inside the the two big guys for UCLA. They they did a great job um, containing Hunter Dickinson in the fact that he wanted to get to his left hand. He he wants to back you down and go uh, uh, get you to his right shoulder and then do that little hook shot. And they said you have to beat us with your right hand. And he struggled. He still led the team in points, but I think he he missed enough shots. And then the guards were just in a complete fit. Uh, UCLA strapped them up, uh, and I thought it was a great game plan. Absolutely. And, you know, we were talking about it on the show. We said UCLA is going to want a fast game. If, mm-hmm. if UCLA can make the game fast, Michigan will be in trouble. But we did not anticipate the pace being – or I'm sorry, Michigan struggling as bad as they did from the field. I mean, if you yeah. look at it, they just had an off night. I mean, Franz Wagner, we watched him airball two wide open threes. And I don't care what anybody says about the game. I've heard people going back and forth. The, th- the, the second airball he put up, it was not a pressure situation. He was yeah. wide open and he decided <laughs> to pull up. You can't decide to pull up and airball a three and say you were under pressure. That was your right. choice. Yeah. I mean, he um, had tons of space to hit that. Um, uh, yeah, there's yeah. – there's no excuse for airball in that one. And he, he, was, one, he, he was one of 10 on the two. Yeah, he was. And then down the stretch, free throws killed Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to give credit, though, to Juan, Juwan Howard. Uh, Juwan Howard's plays that he drew up in the last minute, minute and 20 seconds, that series of five um, possessions, he drew up some amazing plays that just did not get executed on. He got Wagner, his running sweeping hook that he mm-hmm. loves going to his right. Um, the out of bounds play he called under the, on the baseline um, with five seconds left. That was, or point, whatever it was they gave them was amazing. I, everything was flowing to the basket and the way he had screen set up to create that passing lane for Franz. And mm-hmm. I love the confidence to go back to the kid. Hey, I know you airballed <laughs> the last one, but you're going to nail this one. And we're going to go out. We're going to go home with a W, right? Uh, yes, yeah. coach. And yeah. then that was a brick. Like <laughs> it wasn't even close. Yeah. Um, I think, I think UCLA did what they wanted to. The score is not going to indicate at all what UCLA did, but UCLA sped that game up and made it sloppy, mm-hmm. made it fast, and put Michigan at a very uncomfortable pace. And Johnny Jazang won that game. I think <laughs> uh, it – what was it? They had 24 points at halftime, and Johnny had 18 of them. Yes, and they, they were tough shots. They, they weren't open. Uh, I yeah. mean, there were there were a couple in there. But he was hitting contested jump shots, him and Tiger Campbell, mm-hmm. in that first half especially, but all game long. They, they hit a hand-in-your-face – step back jump shots and that's huge yeah and if you ever want to see what kind of a night a shooter is going to have making contested shots is a good one but here's another one let's say he took 12 shots i think one of them hit the rim like everything was dead center Mm -hmm. Uh, he was just on and he's going to need every bit of it and more coming (laughs) up next but hey congrats to ucla congrats to getting to the final four mick cronin and the story with his father and everything that went on there uh it's a great story it's an unprecedented run this is not the team we saw lose four inexplicable games straight to close out (laughs) the regular season yeah Uh, but here we are and and they're dancing baby yeah yeah well one thing i want to touch on quick before we jump uh, over to our next segment you talked about Jawan Howard. I actually I, I loved what he did uh, coaching there, but then I thought the the decision making at the end was a little questionable in the fact that he had two timeouts and he calls the first one in between the free throw attempts uh, of Johnny Juzang, and I thought um, which worked uh, it, it worked, but with six seconds left, I thought in that timeout the play call should have been if he misses. Uh, or, I mean, even if he makes it, get it up the court as quick as you can, call the second timeout, and be able to drop a play from half court. Instead, mm-hmm. Jazang misses the free throw, they call the timeout, and then you have to go the length of the court in six right. seconds instead of drawing up a play from half court with about four seconds. And again, that's credit to UCLA. Look, when we talk about speeding up pace of play, it doesn't just affect the players. I think that we'll call it a brain fart, if you Mm -hmm. will. I think that particular play call was made because of the helter-skelter type atmosphere that game, that pace Mm -hmm. was at. We've got to go. We've got to get it in. And he's just thinking, we've got to draw up a play to get up the court fast. He's not thinking, okay, guys, make or miss. We're up the court. Come to me call a timeout he's thinking 
way too fast and he mm-hmm. just omitted um, a, a, what could have been a, a great half court opportunity um, that now had to go full court. Um, I will say, though, it was nice to see uh, Jalen Rose there supporting. I know there's been a lot yeah. of controversy with the Fab Five. I'm pretty sure Chris Weber and, and doesn't still does not talk to any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I understand, since he graduated, he has not touch foot on the campus um he won't go back he he just Mm. won't um but good to see them there good to see the fab five supporting they they were such an iconic tight-knit group it's great to see them later on in their professional career supporting each other still yeah that's awesome uh but we'll we'll put that to rest and we'll be back uh at some point here to to discuss the final four i guess the, the games are saturday right yeah so you've got the the final four saturday and then championship monday Okay, so um, I guess you can check out uh, a little bit of our breakdown on Brood Bets on Saturday. We'll be there Saturday morning live to give you a little bit of a preview and then our best bets of the weekend. Uh, But we'll move on to our next segment here. It's the transfer portal. Now that there's only four teams left, so the 300-something other basketball teams in the country uh, are dealing with the offseason, and the transfer portal is alive and well. Do you want to uh, dive into that stat that you you gave me earlier today? Yeah, absolutely. So there are 353 teams still active um, that aren't in the tournament because there's 357 Division One basketball teams, and with the amount, there's 1,011 players in the transfer portal, which equates to 25% of all NCAA men's basketball players. Mm-hmm. 25% of them. are in the transfer portal and to break it down even further if you divide that number by the amount of teams it ends up being about 12 players from each team respectively would be so almost an entire roster is what the average is um so the transfer portal is alive and well and, and we talked about this a little bit this afternoon just in passing that a lot of it has to do with the immediate eligibility and the the free year Mm-hmm. I don't think this happens if players have to sit out. Um, and and I, I don't know. Give me your opinion. My opinion is I think that should be the way it is, period, because yeah. I'm, I, I'm a big fan of both sides of the coin. A coach does not have to sit out if he leaves early. If he, if he breaks his contract or gets bought out and goes somewhere else, he doesn't have to sit out a year. So I don't think the players should have to do that either. And we always say the coaches are the role models. The coaches are the ones molding these young men. Well, then we need to hold them to the same standards. Either yep. the coaches need to sit out a year or <laughs> the players don't need to sit out a year. But I think that well, that's the inflation we're seeing. Where do you stand on that? Do you think the players should not be able to sit out a year regularly? Uh, yeah, I, I love this move. Um, I think that uh, everything you said, I agree with. Uh, coaches are paid millions of dollars, and they can just uh, and they give so much. Um, they go into these kids' houses and convince them, like, "Hey, we're building something here," and it, uh, then these kids are left uh, hanging out to dry uh, when they get a better job opportunity. So I think the fact that kids can't transfer and play immediately. I think they made a great switch there. So I'm happy with it. And I mean, the transfer portal takes and it gives away. So like it, guys are leaving, but you're going to get guys coming back in. So that's just how it works nowadays. You're not going to have a guy for four years, most likely. So we'll jump into our teams, UVA and West Virginia. I'll, I'll get it started here. West Virginia, they have Emmett Matthews and Jordan McCabe enter the transfer portal. Uh, they both are going to be juniors uh, next year. So there, there's two spots open. Gabo Saboyan, uh, uh, the, the big key player uh, for West Virginia's front court. I, I love Derek Culver, but what Gabo Saboyan does, it, he's a huge piece on the defensive end. He announced last night that he's coming back, so we don't have to worry about that. Um, I, I think there was – Damone Kerrigan uh, was a name in the transfer portal that I thought he could have fit what Gabe does. He averages about two and a half uh, block shots a game, but he's still like a, a, a six, seven guy that's a little lengthy and can, he can run a little bit. So I thought he could have played that four spot well, but we don't have to worry about that. And then you have Sean McNeil and Taz Sherman. They're both testing the NBA waters. Hmm. So I think one of those guys are going to be back. So I think West Virginia needs to go out and get get two guys 
if both of those guys leave, then you're looking at three guys to come mm-hmm. in. You, you have three scholarships available then. And my number one guy that I want to go get is AJ Wilson from George Mason. He's he's on uh, West Virginia's on his list. Um, not, not a lot of great teams on his list, which I was surprised of. He was the he was on uh, the Atlantic Ten All Defensive Team, the the most improved player in 2020 last year, but before the season got cut short. And he he's the all time leader in blocks in George Mason history. So he he still got one year of eligibility left, and. I don't know what happened this year, but last year he had 31% of his threes. So he's a six, seven guy that can stretch the floor and still um, he's a great rim protector, but then he can also stretch it out on offense. So I like him. And then Kadari Richmond, you may know him from the ACC. He's uh, on Syracuse's roster. Uh, He's Syracuse. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. But Kadari um, Richmond, yeah, that was the new one today. Yeah, new one today. I I love him. I was watching tape on him today, and uh, teams talk about deflections that not so much steals, but they want their guys getting hands on balls. He gets a ton of them, uh, so I want to see if he can do it man to man instead of in that zone. But I think he's a great guard that could uh, could really ramp up this defense that West Virginia didn't really have uh, for uh, for most of the season. Yeah, and on Kadari Richmond, I think he would translate perfectly. When you look at the zone that Syracuse plays, when you're talking about the guards, they are very active, very conditioned, and very um, disruptive. They have Mm -hmm. to be because of the nature of that zone. You can't teach that. So it wouldn't surprise me if in high school he came from a man-to-man system, Mm -hmm. and that's what he thrives at. I think he would be a great fit. I think that the – the principles that go along with being a guard in Jim Beheim's two, three translate very well to what Bob Huggins, Huggy bear likes to do over there in Morgantown and what he's always liked to do on defense, um, active passing lane presence, things of that nature. Um, and to be honest with you, he could switch one through three probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that press, uh, that y'all like to run, he could be very disruptive. Yeah. Um, and then kind of just maybe even play a little bit of free safety for y'all. So I think that actually be a really good fit um, from the rumors I've heard. He doesn't seem to want to stay in conference. Um, and he just kind of wants a really, really fresh start. And that's something mm-hmm. to consider for these players too. You know, you go to another conference and they have tape on you because they've played you, <laughs> you know, you go to you go somewhere far in a different conference. Uh, they've got to learn you. Okay? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you heard, but I, I heard that there were some issues between him and Bayheim. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the issues were, but I heard uh, a little bit of that on the internet today. But I think that Huggins has done a great job because Gabe Osaboyan also had troubles. He was uh, kicked out of Arkansas, um, and then he comes here and he seems like a completely different person. So I think that would be a great fit as well. And then one last person, if uh, if Sean McNeil and Taz Sherman both leave and they need to go get that third guy, uh, Marion Jackson from Toledo, lighting it up. I, I don't know if West Virginia could get him. They're kind of uh, – they're in – there's a long list of teams that are looking for him. He averaged 18, six and six this year and shot 36% from three. He can do a lot at the point guard spot. So that would be a wish for mine to replace the scoring that those two leave. But I think one will be back. So I think it will be fine there. And which one do you think it would be? I'm interested to see here. Of the two uh, that you are testing, which one do you think is more likely? I think Sean McNeil is just testing the waters just to to get some feedback on what he needs to do this upcoming year. Taz Sherman is a little more on the fence of like he he has the game that he could go play overseas right now and probably score about twenty five points per game. Uh, I think he could he could do a lot overseas. So I don't know if, what he wants to do, but I feel like Sean McNeil is just testing things out. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I just want to make sure we were on the same page because he doesn't yeah. strike me as it. And it's kind of similar to what UVA has going on with Trey Murphy. Yeah. He's like a late second rounder. Some places have him going late first round, um, which is not what you want to hear. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're going to be in that particular position, we heard something similar about Mamadi Diakite his junior year after he won a national championship. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be like a late second rounder and he came back and did his thing his senior year. And then boom, every G league accolade accolade you could award a gentleman he got. And now he's 
putting in quality minutes for the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm -hmm. So I think that he's similar to that path. Um, so I like that choice. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll jump over to, uh, to the Cavalanche uh, for this week. Uh, and uh, you guys, uh, UVA, seven scholarship it's, players left. <laughs> oh, it's rough. Um, if I'm counting correct, that it's three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, okay. Eight. Um, Cause we do have a freshman Tane Murray from New Zealand coming in. Uh, he's a, he's a, yeah. He's a four-star recruit coming out of New Zealand and, um, or, so somewhere somewhere <laughs> not here um and he he's hey high ceiling but yeah definitely we got rocked um with the justin mccoy casey morsell and jabri abdur rahim um which of course was the big one um I, I don't blame any of those guys though to be completely honest with you and i don't know how it's been on fan pages for west virginia um but people have been very active in just criticizing these kids for making the better decision for their future. And mm -hmm. the one word that I keep hearing put around is um, honor and commitment. <laughs> right. And I, I just got to point out, like we have to, I'm going to see it from the other side as well, because there's two sides to every story. Yeah. As a fan and someone who was as highly touted as Jabri Abdur Rahim and Casey Morsell were coming in and even Justin McCoy. Yes. It sucks that whatever they're going to do, isn't going to be completed or even started in some of these players cases with UVA. Mm -hmm. But think about, well, I just want to take, I want to take Jabri Abdur Rahim, for example, because this is the best point I can make. Casey Morsell, we could argue all day, every day, <laughs> but Jabri Abdur Rahim committed to the UVA under the premise. I can only assume based on the scholarship situation we had and his talent. Keep in mind, this gentleman was top 40 in the country and number six at his position. So he is ready to go now. Okay. Yeah. Prolific scorer, great defender, six, seven, six, eight long wingspan. He was ready. We needed him. Okay. He commits, he signs. And then later on the, the transfer is granted for Trey Murphy. Well, Trey Murphy's the exact same player, <laughs> the exact same player. So you want to talk about honoring your commitment. Look at look at the from the university side. You promised this kid that he was going to play. You mm -hmm. promised this kid that he was going to be an integral part. And then you go and recruit a guy that has three or years of experience at the level to basically replace him. You can't say anything else about it other than it was a replacement. We didn't trust what we had in him, even though we promised him these things. So he says, you know what? I'm going to play it out. And he plays it out because he committed to the year and he's got to go. He gets eight minutes. A top 40 recruit in the nation gets eight <laughs> minutes for UVA this year while the team struggles offensively. Mm -hmm. And the only I'm going to say this out of pure speculation on my end, because nothing has came out. I haven't seen a source or anything. The only reason I think that uh, Jabri Abdur Rahim is transferring from UVA is because he knows Trey Murphy's coming back. Yeah. If Trey Murphy was gone, I think he stays and he sticks it out. But there's 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 probably a good portion of his decision was predicated on the fact that he knows Trey Murphy is most likely going to come yeah. back, and he doesn't want to mess with that. And, so, go ahead. And I feel like. Tony Bennett is a good coach and he seems like a great person that he would be honest with him. He's going to say, Hey, like I've had the conversation with Trey and he's most likely coming back. He's just testing, getting some feedback from the NBA. So, right. I mean, I know, I know Bob Huggins has had those same conversations with players. Like, like these guys talk like there's exit meetings after the season. And like, if you're not happy, like these coaches, they're not looking to like, railroad you into like you have to stay here like right. if if you're not happy then you're not going to be a great player like you you have to love your situation and be ready to ball because i mean it's a commitment from uh from i mean even the whole off season but especially when camp starts in what is it august september uh mm -hmm. through march like it's it's a long grind that you have to be in for yeah so here we are and we're in <laughs> instant rebuild mode i guess you could <laughs> say um so our projected 2021-2022 scholarship chart looks a little bit like this. We'll have freshman Tane Murray. We'll have sophomores Reese Beekman, Carson McCorkle, and Caden Shedrick. Junior will be Francisco Cafaro, and our seniors will be Trey Murphy if he comes back, 
Cody Statman and Kihei Clark. I'll be honest, not super comfortable with that. <laughs> we are going to be extremely active in the transfer portal. We're going to be extremely active in going after these kids that are throwing their names. And a couple that are that are spotlighting here. Uh, my favorite is uh, Indiana sophomore Armand Franklin. Mm-hmm. Um, he is what we – he would be an exact replacement just at a higher level of what Casey Morcel we thought would be at this point. He's very active on the defensive end. He can get out and run. He can shoot lights out when he's on, but he's going to be that in that 33 to 35% range. And it's just going to be great, a great replacement. And Virginia is in that mix for him. Um, he, he's also in the mix with Louisville and he's also considering returning to Bloomington, which keep in mind people when these players put their name in the transfer portal, they can come back. They're just you exercising their, right to see what we got out there uh, another one to look forward to is uh the six six sharpshooter from auburn uh justin powell um he's huge um he he was gonna go to kentucky and it was thought that he was going to be a sure thing but then all of a sudden kentucky landed a davison transfer kellen grant grady mm-hmm. and now he's not um <laughs> people are under the impression that John Calipari might still be involved, but that that bridge got burnt. So his schools that he listed in name were Gonzaga and Virginia. So we'll see how that goes. Um, There's Walker Kessler from UNC. Um, He was, for a short period, a sure thing for UVA. Um, And then he chose ultimately North Carolina. So we're hoping for a second chance there. And his teammate in AAU, Justin Powell, is also looking for a home. So that could be a, a duo there that we, you know, we get two of those there. Um, and of course, Trevor Keels is a huge recruit set to make his decision. Five-star recruit. Um, he is the real deal. He is a game changer instantly. We're holding out hope. All signs really kind of point towards Duke. The only problem with Duke is that they've got three scholarship shooting guards coming back next year that have not declared in the transfer portal. So there might be some competition there. Having three shooting guards on Duke is not like having three shooting guards on NC State or Syracuse or some other team. Everybody on that team can play. Um, So hopefully on Sunday when he makes his announcement, we might hear the Wahoos get called. Um, Unlikely. But um, and then, you know, a year from now, we've got um, Isaiah McNeely coming in, uh, one of the West Virginia guys we took out of your mm-hmm. backyard. And <laughs> uh, I'm sorry that I'm not sorry. Hey, yeah, uh, it, it, it's all forward. right. <laughs> looking forward to him playing. Um, and, and that would just be my transfer portal. Again, this is guys, the transfer portals at 1000 plus players right now. Mm-hmm. And we don't even have a national champion yet. <laughs> so things are going to happen. Schools are getting imploded. And again, keep in mind, we've discussed it and hit on it several times, JT free year of eligibility and immediate eligibility where you transfer. That's really the radar. That's uh, you know, that's guiding this whole thing is the immediate availability for playing time. And a lot of these players, that's why they're leaving. You don't mm-hmm. see players that are getting good amounts of playing time or being utilized properly, putting their names in the transfer portal. Yeah. So we'll just have to wait and see. I still trust Tony Bennett. We've dealt with this before. Mm-hmm. Um, if people remember a couple years ago, we had three people leave in Mariel Shayok, Darian Thompson and um, Nigel Johnson. And, and they left. Uh, and then, that same year that they left, we won a national championship. So I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but the coaches know what these things are going on and they're ready to deal with it. And it sucks right now looking at it and seeing eight scholarship players (laughs) on the roster and the most experienced one coming back would be Kihei Clark. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's his senior year. Carson McCorkle's coming back and he was highly recruited as well. Highly touted at that. So We'll see how it goes, but people just calm down a little bit. There's two ways to this street, and um, the players aren't leaving because they hate you. So stop mm-hmm. taking it personally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's kind of ridiculous some of the things you hear uh, online. But uh, oh well, it's a long time until October, so uh, we have a lot of time to to cover that. Uh, we'll have plenty more episodes talking about transfers. So mm-hmm. uh, if you want to listen to last night's uh, sports with BJ. Uh, go check that out uh, on his page everywhere. And uh, I'll clip this. Um, the press break will be out tomorrow, the Thursday at, at 2 o'clock. So if you want to listen to that, uh, I'll clip that at the end of this uh, episode as well uh, in case uh, you want to listen to it. 
at the end of here. So with that, you can find me everywhere at JTZ4, Brandon everywhere at Sports with PJ, and that was another well-executed press break. All right, good evening, sports fans and everyone here at Big Ugly. How's everyone doing tonight? There it is, one. We got one. All right. Welcome to another edition of Sports with BJ. We got a lot to talk about tonight. The NCAA tournament is almost over, but before we jump into everything, I'd like to introduce my co-host, JT, Jake Thomas of Sports Shift Media. They are a sports media company that does everything from journalism to gambling to even e-racing. Do a little bit of e-racing in there. So JT, how you doing tonight, man? Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, glad to be on. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, should be good. So let's go ahead and re recap the tournament. We've almost got the final four. Half of it's set. Right. We already know that we're going to have um, Baylor in there. Right. Mm -hmm. And we already know that we're going to have um, Houston Lincoln. Houston's in there. So we got <laughs> Houston and Baylor, two Texas teams in there. And uh, but let's recap some of the good stories, the feel good moments, the the Cinderella's, if you will. We started off with Abilene Christian beating number three, Texas, before they eventually lost to UCLA. Good on them because UCLA still fighting. They'll be live tonight. We'll get to that. North Texas beats number four seeded Purdue, then lost to Villanova. Uh, Ohio beat my UVA Cavaliers, then they lost to Creighton. Uh, Loyola Chicago made another great Cinderella run to the Sweet 16. Um, Oral Roberts, probably the darlings of the entire NCAA tournament. They beat number two, Ohio State, then number seven seeded Florida before giving the third seed Arkansas Razorbacks everything they could handle, 72-70 on the loss there. They were definitely uh, the story. Uh, but one of the, my favorite stories at this particular point, uh, you know I love Buddy Beheim from Syracuse. You know he was averaging 23 points in the tournament. I think that's an amazing feat. If you go back to... His one game in the ACC tournament, he only got the one because UVA bounced them. But if you go back two games before that and count for the last six games, he was averaging 28 points a game. And for a college athlete to do that on a not-so-good team where you're the one guy the opponent is locking in on, that's impressive to me. Um, another big storyline in the NCAA tournaments, the Pac-12. They put 25% of the Sweet 16 came from the Pac-12 this year. We had UCLA, Oregon, Oregon State, USC. Unfortunately, UCLA and Oregon had to play each other. And if not, we might have 50% of the Elite Eight coming from the Pac-12 because the other three teams won, and now 38% of the Elite Eight is made up of the Pac-12. So a lot of people out there on the West Coast feeling uh, a little bit disrespected, and they're glad the Pac-12 is doing what they're doing. But JT, out of those highlights I mentioned, and maybe some I've missed, what's been your best moment in the tournament so far? Your favorite storyline? Um, I mean, obviously, Oral Roberts is definitely uh, the number one story. And really, the uh, the thought I was having earlier today was, so far in this tournament, you haven't had that big shot, like that memorable moment. And Max uh, Amos, or Abbas, however you say his last name. Max Abbas. Yeah. yeah. If he hits that uh, that last second shot, that's the most memorable moment to me. If, if that goes in and they move on to the Elite Eight. But other than that, Pac-12, uh, we, we talked all year long about college basketball, and we kind of pushed the Pac-12 to the back burner. And to be honest, going into this tournament, I thought my two favorite teams from the Pac-12 to make a run were Colorado and Oregon. And mm. those two teams are bounced, and then we still got some teams uh, kicking here at the end. But uh, I'm excited to see what the Pac-12 does tonight. Uh, I think uh, USC, I think they're going to run into a brick wall of Gonzaga, but I, I think they can give them a fight for probably 35 minutes. Absolutely. And as is with every positive, there's always a negative. And we did have a few negatives in the NCAA tournament. Um, one, obviously, the disparagement in the facilities between the men and the women. Um, that got addressed, but too little too late on that mm -hmm. and then we had several several players getting death threats getting racial messages sent to them after their team loses um, most notably would be illinois um, you had ej liddell and kofi coburn receiving racial slurs and death threats and your mountaineers i know there were some players there and i know you're pretty passionate as is anybody uh that would that would hear those things but go ahead and, and take that away especially with the, the mountaineer players that got uh their unfortunate messages yeah i, I was pretty disappointed when i heard that uh, it was um emmett matthews and taz sherman both of who uh, emmett matthews has transferred out now he's had two great years 
And Bob Huggins has always said that he's the most uh, – what's the word that he's – he's the most underappreciated player because he doesn't put up a lot of points, but he's that long, lengthy uh, – kind of swing guy for you that that plays defense and can get some buckets cut into the basket. And then Taz Sherman, he's been really the key guy off the bench. I I thought he should have been, uh, he should have been in nomination for some sixth man of the year awards. He started a few games. So that that was an issue, but those guys get some death threats online and uh, for everything that they do for, at least for West Virginia, that they, they do a lot for the state. Uh, I know Bob Huggins has them doing a lot of stuff around Morgantown, uh, helping out the community, and, and that's the only team that uh, West Virginia fans get to watch. So it's real disappointing to see some people take to the internet and uh, and bash them after a loss. So it was a tough game, Buddy Bayheim, like you said, he's going to haunt me forever. Uh, so you just kind of tip their cap uh, and move on, and some fans couldn't do that. Oh, yeah. And you mentioned Evans transferred out. So that brings us to another big storyline right now. The transfer portal is going nuts. As of 3.30 this afternoon, there were over 1,100 student athletes that play basketball that were in the transfer portal. And um, one of the schools that's hitting the most is the University of Virginia. Uh, We have any University of Virginia fans out here? Yeah, we got some. A couple big hits. Yeah, wahoo wah. A couple big hits. Uh, The first news that broke was Casey Morsell. That didn't really surprise me. Then we had Jabri Abdul-Rahim. Those are the two top recruits from the last two classes we had. They transferred out. And then today you had Justin McCoy. Uh, He just played his sophomore season, announced that he was going to be transferring as well. And the one thing I wanted to address is, as fans, it's our natural reaction to get upset at the players, right? But I just wanted to make note that it's it's a two-way street. Right, We have to respect mm-hmm. the fact that these kids were promised things too. And I look at someone like Jabri Abdur-Rahim, okay, and who was a top 40 recruit in the entire country, number six at his position in 2018, gets recruited to the University of Virginia, gets promised immediate playing time, looks to be the wing that replaced DeAndre Hunter, and then months after his commitment, months after his signing, the athletic department goes and accepts the transfer request of Trey Murphy, <laughs> who is that exact same position and someone who was promised immediate playing time. Now keep in mind, he was the, he was in the top 40. I believe he actually came in at number 33 for all recruits in 2018. He also was the number six strong forward in all of college basketball in high school in 2018 in the entire United States. He was promised immediate playing time. And then this year, because of the acceptance of Trey Murphy, he got eight minutes as a whole. Why should he stay? We didn't hold up our end of the bargain. And I think it's really important that we that we see both sides of the street, right? Yes, it sucks that a player left the program and someone who had such a high ceiling you don't want to see. But at the same time, we've got to do our best to fulfill what we said we were going to do too, or at least communicate better. Uh, So the transfer portal is alive and well, but we're here to talk about the NCAA tournament. And so we'll start with a recap of last night's game. Oregon State versus Houston was the first game out. 17-point deficit at halftime for Oregon State. Oddly enough, they only had 17 points themselves at halftime. (laughs) Um, And they came back to tie that at 55 with three minutes and 44 seconds left. But the storyline here, JT, they could not keep Houston off the offensive glass. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or Houston ended up with uh, 19 offensive rebounds to uh, Houston's seven. That's not going to get it done. Um, It's funny to me, though, one stat I saw – Oregon State actually outshot Houston 47 to 32, mm-hmm. but they still lost. And one of the things that I saw was the free throw line. If you look at it, Oregon State went 11 of 20, while Houston went 16 to 24. For the common math folks out there that can do it real quick, that's a disparagement of five <laughs> at the free throw line, and Houston won by six. Yeah. So, what'd you see in that game, and, and where might I be wrong or might I be right? Uh, you are right there. Um, uh, Oregon State did a great job there of coming back. But what I saw from Houston was when Oregon State went to that one-three-one zone, they caused a little bit of problems with that six-nine guy up top. Um, and I think Houston at that point decided we're just going to try to take the air out of the ball 
and run this clock out. And just the clock wasn't moving fast enough. So they, they were doing a lot of lazy passes, uh, allowing them to get back in. But then one, once that game got close, I thought Quentin Grimes took over. And we texted after the Her- uh, Houston-Syracuse game. And I said that this Houston team reminds me of that Texas Tech team that Virginia took on in 2019. Quentin Grimes reminds me of Jared Culver, great defensive player, and can go get them a bucket when he needs to, shooting lights out from three. And then the rest of the team is just get up in your face and defend. That That's that's what they want to do, and, and it's really impressive what the role that they're on. Yeah, and that's kind of a two-sided compliment there because on one side, comparing them to Texas Tech of 2019, they made it to the national championship, but on the other hand, they lost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so another wahoo wah there. So that wraps up the Oregon State-Houston game. Again, Oregon State could not keep Houston off the glass, and they couldn't knock down free throws when it mattered, and ultimately that led to the loss. Arkansas-Baylor, second line of the game, or second game of the night. The story really there for me was the three-point line. All the other statistical categories were pretty much even, um, except for three-point. Baylor shot 53% from the three-point line, while Arkansas shot 27. I'm going to be honest because I believe in honesty in sports. I fell asleep at 9.30. I didn't even see the tip. So, JT, you watch the game. What do we got? Yeah, the, the thing was, Baylor is just so good with how many guys that they have that can shoot. They've, you've got the three-headed monster of Macy Oteague, Jared Butler, and Davion Mitchell. Uh, Jared Butler gets a lot of the credit there as like the number one guy. My, my thing is Davion Mitchell is going to be a star in the NBA. The, the way that he can get to the rim so quick it, and get those finishes with like left, right hand off the right and left foot, he, he makes some weird shots. But then when he gets into the lane – there's so many guys to kick out to to shoot. You kind of have to pick your poison of whether you're going to let them beat you from twos or threes. And then the one thing I have to say about that game, and it's kind of been noticeable in the whole tournament, the uh, I never try to get on officiating too hard, but the JD Notai gets, I believe it was three fouls in a minute 44 stretch. And that last offensive foul on him was a terrible call. Uh, it looked like, I forget who's defending him, but just goes flopping back. And, and he gets his fifth foul in only 15 minutes of play. And he was their leading scorer. So he he didn't really play much, but he was shooting the lights out. And that, that was really the turning point to me is uh, with 13 minutes to go, he was fouled out and Baylor took over. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that sets up half the Final Four. We got Houston and Baylor, and we got two games tonight with a trip onto the Final Four on the line. Uh, Speaking of trips, JT, you just bought a house. Um, And you know this real estate market is tripping up a lot of people right now, but we're not to fear because we got James Vanderpool with Keller Williams here to help. James specializes in marketing and selling home quickly for top dollar for his sellers, and he's great at negotiating prices and terms for his buyers. Growing up in the Hampton Roads area, he is constantly studying the real estate market in Hampton Roads. So if you are in the market or contemplating a buy or sell, call or text James directly. He can be reached at 757-753-6201. And James has a free gift just for Sports with BJ listeners. I don't know what I did to deserve that honor or my listeners, but if you go with James for a, a buy or a sell, mention the podcast. He's got a free uh, free gift for you there. And that brings us to our first poll question of the night because the first game of the night is Gonzaga versus USC. So if you go to Facebook and you go to Sports with BJ, you'll see a poll question up there. You can take a vote. Who do you have tonight? USC versus Gonzaga. So we'll break this down. Of course, Gonzaga led by Coach Mart Few on the court. They're going to be led by Corey Kispert, Drew Timmy, and Jalen Suggs. They've won every game this year now, keep in mind, they're 29-0. They've won every game except for one by double digits, and its adjusted offensive efficiency rating of 126 is on pace to be the highest ever in the Ken Palm area. Uh, they're scoring 92 a game, and that's on pace to break Virginia Military Institute's record of 95 in 2007. JT, I know we've talked a lot about Gonzaga. You kind of have to when you've got a team this dominant. I don't think we've had a team like this since the 2015 Kentucky squad. Mm-hmm. But is there any chance USC gets a W here tonight? 
So, yeah, yeah I, I know we're both on uh, Gonzaga, but I think that this is going to be their toughest game of the season. The, that single-digit game that you talked about, the, that's against my West Virginia Mountaineers. They, they put up a good fight, but that's all the way back in December, and they haven't had much of a test. So I really want to see what the Mobley brothers do against uh, Drew Timmy and Corey Kispert. I think that Mobley can match up. He's uh, he's 34th in, uh, in the country in block percentage. And I think that what the key part is down this stretch late in the season and then in the tournament, Jason Hart, an assistant for USC, he played at Syracuse and knows that two, three zone, uh, like the back of his hand. And they've really gone to that zone. And I think it can slow Gonzaga down. I, I want to see who they put in the middle. And if I, I, from what I hear, they're going to try to let Joel Yai, uh shoot. And he was hitting – hitting a lot of shots in their last game, but can he do it again? Uh, that's going to be the key to me. Yeah, and uh, as every key, anytime you play a 2-3 zone as good as USC's or maybe a Syracuse would be the most notable 2-3 zone, mm -hmm. uh, you got to score from the middle because you got to get the ball behind towards the baseline to make the defense collapse so that they have to spread the floor when they scramble to find the ball again. What's interesting to me USC for about 96% of the year has played man to man. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until the NCAA tournament, they instituted this two, three zone and it's almost a matchup two, three zone where it's a little bit man, but they're perfectly fine switching one through five. And the quick snap has been impressive to me that they mm -hmm. can go an entire season playing man to man and then just play this, the most effective zone we've seen in the tournament, just like that. I'm surprised that they didn't go to it earlier on in the season because when I was looking up stuff, they actually have uh, the second longest team in the country, average height-wise. They've got uh, Drew Peterson, Isaiah Mobley, and then Evan Mobley all over 6'8", playing on the back line there. So they can really extend on you and, and contest those shots even though they're getting there late. So I think that's the key is that kind of a lot of 2-3 zones, you can, you can throw it to the corner and get a shot up if you catch those side guys sleeping, but uh, I don't think you can with this team because their recovery speed is so good. Absolutely. And we're sitting here talking about the great defense of USC, but Gonzaga's no slouch either. They rank seventh in Ken Palm's adjusted efficiency, allowing 88.6 points per 100 possessions. And they've held opponents below their scoring average in 20 of their 29 games, including the past six. What's impressive to me about that. I personally think Gonzaga would be the number one defensive team in the country if they didn't play at such a fast pace. If mm -hmm. they didn't have such a high possession count in all of their games, I think that they would be number one in defense, but they're not. They're number seven because of the high percentage. Is there a chance that that defense is the deciding factor here, or do we think that Gonzaga is just going to out-offense USC? I think they're going to have to do it on the defensive end because uh, Gonzaga's offense, uh, we talked about that zone. They're not going to let Gonzaga get out and transition offensively, which is where they want to score a lot of their points. So I think this game is going to have to be played at a slower pace. Uh, so I see them trying to – they're going to try to slow the Mobley uh, brothers down. So uh, I think they, they eliminate that double in the post and make the guards beat them. So uh, I, I think – it is going to be uh, determining about the defense. Uh, and I really think that Gonzaga is going to win this game. I think it's more important on how, if they're going to cover uh, my gambling side of me is already right. looking at that side. <laughs> so the gambling, so the line came out at nine and a half. It moved to half a point after their game, um, after USC's game against Oregon. Mm -hmm. And then it moved another half a point today. So you can actually, last I checked, you can get Gonzaga minus eight and a half. I liked them in a tease. Um, I took them with Michigan, and that let me get Gonzaga down to four, and I feel very confident about that. But before we get to the, the pick, if USC pulls off the upset, and again, we're not saying they can't. We're just saying Gonzaga's been so dominant. They've been such the clear-cut favorite that it mm -hmm. just seems like that's not what's going to happen. So if USC is going to pull this off, how are they going to do it? What's the key to their victory? Uh, Gonzaga has a bad shooting night, uh, a little bit of luck on <laughs> USC's hands and their, their zone is able to extend and pretty much take Drew Timmy out of the game. Uh, I think that's the key. He's been so efficient. Uh, I don't know if you mentioned it, but he's one, one of the most efficient, efficient players of all time. 
scoring. And a lot of that is in transition. So I think they're going to slow Gonzaga down, make them shoot over the top. Mm -hmm. And I, I still don't know if it's going to happen, but that, that's the way that they need to do it. And again, it's, uh, it's imperative to point out the matchup to watch. The Mobley brothers, you're going to have one on Corey Kispert. You're going to have one on Drew Timmy, and it's going to be a pleasure to watch. Go into the poll across 20 votes. Um, it looks like 100% Gonzaga. I, no, one, no one thinks USC is winning tonight. I, I've got a question for you. If USC, if USC does pull off the upset, is this is this a disappointing season for Gonzaga? No, because it's the same story as always for Gonzaga. They're not battle tested until they get to the tournament. Mm -hmm. They're out there in the West Coast Conference. They play Santa Clara, St. Mary's, and all the teams that we've never heard of. And they're, they don't get tested enough during the conference play, which is really where you want your test to come from. That's why the ACC has such a strong history in the tournament. Obviously not this year, but they're battle-tested night in, night out on those one, two-day turnarounds. Mm -hmm. They don't have that in the West Coast. And even though they get to pick their non-con, those games are so far spread out. They're just not conditioned. I do think that this is the exception to that rule with Gonzaga. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I don't think it's a disappointment because it's par for the course for them, <laughs> just for me. Uh, so we'll move on to the second game of the night, and this brings us to our second poll question. Again, you can go to facebook.com. Sports with BJ. The poll is up there. You can take a vote. We've got UCLA versus Michigan. Uh, a couple notes here. UCLA is riding high on Coach Mick Cronin, and there was a halftime speech he gave. For those of you that don't know, Mick Cronin's father was not given much time left, and he has been able to defeat the odds. And similar to what Sister Jean has meant to Loyola Chicago, Mick Cronin's father means to the UCLA Bruins and their family. And it was a couple of games ago in the Pac-12 tournament that he gave a very emotional speech and talking about, you think this is hard? You think winning this game is hard? And he went off about what his dad's had to go through. And ever since then, they've shot 54% in every single game. And those aren't <laughs> against slouch teams. They had to take on Drake, very feisty team. That was a good game. Then they got Kansas. Then they got Oregon. And now they get... Um, Oh, I'm sorry, that, that was the wrong team. But they, they had to go through the Pac-12 tournament, and they've had a tough road being in that play-in game. Mm -hmm. And from there on, they've just shot lights out, and their defense has really picked up. Unfortunately, I don't think that's the kind of game they need in this, in this game. They're going to be led by Johnny Jazang, Chris Smith, and Jamie Jacquez, and they're on a revenge tour for the Pac-12. And I really, I really don't get why the Pac-12 – is on this revenge tour. You kind of have to have won something to come for revenge. Mm -hmm. We're just, most college basketball fans are pointing out the obvious. The Pac-12 is not really relevant when March comes. Um, but UCLA is, is spearheading it alongside USC. My fear for this game is that possessions are going to be limited for the way Michigan plays defense. Mm -hmm. They're going to clean up the defensive glass. UCLA is not going to get a lot of second chance opportunities and UCLA plays their best when they're out in transition and playing at a high tempo and Michigan does not allow that. So I think it's going to be extremely important for the game to feed into the fast paced high turnover margin. Mm -hmm. I just don't see that happening with Michigan. Who do you like tonight? Uh, yeah, I, I like Michigan as well. I, I think the, uh, the the fun matchup is going to be Johnny's uh, Juzang against Franz Wagner, but I I don't know if uh, I think Franz Wagner is probably the best player on this team. I think Hunter Dickinson is going to be at some point in his career, but uh, Wagner is just a step above at this moment. So I think he's going to win that matchup. And the key is, well, we've talked all season long about how Michigan is so long. Uh, they have, even though without Isaiah Livers, they still have a lot of long guys. Hunter Dickinson at seven foot in the middle. UCLA, their their center is six nine, and they don't really have any depth behind him. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the key: is that Michigan's going to throw down low to Hunter Dickinson and even get Franz Wagner in the post there, and they're going to just clean up uh, on the glass. Yeah, you hit it there on my show notes here. I have like. 18 exclamation points besides Franz Wagner. I watched him <laughs> against Florida State. Now, Franz Wagner's what, seven foot, seven one? Uh, I think uh, I think they have him listed at 6'10. 6'10. Uh, okay. I would I would say 6'10, 6'11. Regardless, everyone here probably knows somebody that's that tall. Now imagine this dude coming at you with about a four six speed 
and being able to dribble between his <laughs> legs and pass like a point guard. That's yeah. impressive. Um, he had a couple of he had a couple plays where Florida State tried to put their press on, and he just popped up in the middle and ran the fast break. That's brutal when you've got a when you've got a center power forward that can run your fast break. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just bone crushing for a team that's trying to press and get back in it. And because of that, they they handled Florida State in a way I didn't think they were going to. I had Florida State taking on Gonzaga next round. Obviously, that's not going to happen. But it's not just Franz Wagner. You got Hunter Dickinson and Mike Smith who stepped in big time for the loss of Isaiah Livers. And we all know Michigan's being led by Coach Juwan Howard. And again, the defense is going to be key tonight. It's going to have to be a defensive battle. I don't think that UCLA is incapable of winning. I just don't know that the style of play Michigan is going to enforce is going to be overcomable. The the one area is that they've done so far uh, all tournament long is UCLA has hit some tough shots that they're not getting open threes. They're just hitting. I I know, I think it was Tiger Campbell in that uh, game against Alabama hit just a step back, like in your face three. And and they've hit a lot of those shots in these last three games. So, I mean, maybe UCLA gets hot. They they do have the 11th ranked offense in the country uh, Mm -hmm. per Ken Palm. So they can knock down some shots, but I I still think at the end of the day, Michigan, uh, Michigan dirties this up enough to get the win all right well that'll do it for that game preview so we'll look at the poll here see what the people said and the question was who wins game two tonight UCLA Michigan and again 20 votes again 100% Michigan no one likes so we're, we're looking at a Michigan Gonzaga as long as far as the people of big ugly say it's gonna be <laughs> UCLA or it's gonna be a Michigan Gonzaga uh, final four matchup on the left side of the bracket there so that brings us to our final poll question of the night again Facebook Sports with BJ. The poll question is up. You can vote. And the question becomes, who's your national champion? That's what we want you to vote on right now. But we're going to work our way up to it with some game (laughs) predictions. The point of tonight's show was to lead into the games. It's almost 7 o'clock, so I think we've done pretty good on that. And so let's go with USC Gonzaga, JT. Uh, It's hard to bet against Gonzaga. Uh, The undefeated team uh, trying to finish it off for the first team since 1976. Uh, 74. 74. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, Gonzaga wins. Uh, I think they cover. Uh, I think this is a, uh, another, uh, another double digit victory. Nice. Yeah. Clean sweep here for us on sports with BJ USC, Michigan, uh, uh, Michigan. Uh, yeah. They, I think this is probably the better of the two games. I think this does end up being a single digit five to six point game free throws at the end. But at the end of the day, they're going to be able to go down low whenever they want to Hunter Dickinson and Franz Wagner, like we said. So I'm rolling with Michigan. Absolutely. Another clean sweep here on Sports with BJ. So assuming Sports with BJ and JT are right, we've got Gonzaga versus Michigan. JT, just off the cusp, we haven't done any research. Who do we like, UCLA or Michigan versus Gonzaga? I think that that's the game that we're going to remember if we do get it that Jalen Suggs takes over and I think he's going to handle um, what's Michigan's point guard's name. Um, yeah, Mike Smith, Mike Smith. I, I think that's a matchup that Jalen Suggs dominates. And I think they get out in transition on Michigan and uh, they get a win. Okay. I like that too. Um, there's just something about this Michigan team. They're playing inspired. I feel like Gonzaga is playing to prove people right. I think Michigan's playing to prove people wrong, and mm-hmm. that's that's a more dangerous team to me. So I I actually like Michigan in that matchup, but again, it's hard to bet against Gonzaga. So I'll go Gonzaga. So that gives us Gonzaga in the national championship coming out of the left side. Houston Baylor, who do you like in that game? Uh, that could be a game of first to forty wins. Uh, that's going to be an ugly. Um, uh, just defensive game, which I love to see. I, I actually would prefer that than a scoring game, which th- this tournament has been all unders in terms of betting wise. So I've kind of got my wish, but uh, my one wish for this game is that they end up, I th- I hope they get a crew that lets them play. Uh, I hope there's not ticky tack fouls. I don't know. Be a the, big crew then. Uh, yeah, I hope not. But at the end of the day, I think that Baylor's shooting ends up getting them the victory. Okay, so that gives us a national championship of Baylor versus Gonzaga, which, again, 1-2 preseason poll, 1-2 throughout the entire AP poll the whole year, 1-2 <laughs> two 
in the in the one seedings for the NCAA tournament. Baylor Gonzaga. If that is the national championship, who do we like? Uh, I I would watch a seven game series of that. I hope if it happens that they end up giving that to us instead. But Gonzaga all year long, they've been number one. Baylor, they've been right there too. But I think Gonzaga does a good enough job at having no bad possessions. Baylor has some bad possessions. Gonzaga does not. They, they always play offense with a purpose. So I think this game is up and down. I think they score a lot of points. But Gonzaga is just too, too powerful. I, I don't like being chalk. I, I I hate being the person to pick the number one overall seed right. to win it all. But they're just too good. Okay. Yeah, I think if that's the matchup, it's going to have to be Gonzaga. Um, again, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Michigan Baylor. Um, mm-hmm. In that case, I would take Michigan. But let's see what the fans say. Okay. Oh, we've got some disparagement here. So the question was, who wins the 2021 national championship? Gonzaga or the field? 19 votes, 78% Gonzaga, 22% the field. So there's some people that think Gonzaga. And I think it's hard, JT. I think it's important to mention it's hard to go undefeated. And I think that's what people are betting against. It's not betting against Gonzaga. It's betting against a team going 30 plus and O. That's what we're betting against. Because they've looked so good. We haven't seen really a bad night from them. So, I mean, against especially when you get to the Final Four and you have to take on a Michigan and then you have to take on a Baylor or a 